0: The difference between the first game and the second game was our intensity. We played harder, we were smarter, we were more aggressive and forward-thinking with our movements, and I think we just showed that when we execute our game plan and we stay locked in, that we can compete with anybody. NBA Draft Lottery. What were your thoughts of Zion potentially going to New Orleans? To see New Orleans get the pick was just kind of funny. To get the number one pick and now have a bunch of suitors who are probably going to be offering different packages uh, to try to attain that number one pick. It's going to be an interesting summer.
1: What was that like meeting the great Jennifer who inspired not only a Twitter phenomenon, but also just has
0: been the the backbone of the pull-up? You know, it was nice to meet her in person, and it's funny that we've gotten to this spot just based off of a social media tweet and response. It just shows you where we're at now in America. Welcome to the Jack Lambert episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 58. Currently back in Portland, Oregon, uh, as we wrapped up two games against the Warriors. Tough loss last night, you know, led by as many as 17. Ended up dropping the game. Uh, In the last few minutes, definitely a closely contested game. A lot of offense, a lot of defense, a lot of three-pointers, runouts, things of that nature. It was definitely a fun game to play in. Would have been better if we won, but I'm sure the fans were happy to see it. I think the ratings were as good as they've been since, I don't know, 2017, since ESPN's been showing. Conference Finals games, I think the... uh, San Antonio Spurs-Warriors game was the next closest in terms of rating. I don't really understand the numbers and what the ratings mean, but it was it was fun to be a part of such a highly contested, highly watched game. Uh, really looking forward to Game 3 at home. First time we'll be playing at home in the conference finals since 2019 years ago. So I'm sure the fans are excited as we are uh, to try to even up this series as we get ready for Game 3. Without further ado, welcome Jordan Schultz to the Pull-Up Pod. As always, Jordan... I know your sleep schedule has been crazy. You've been, you know, monitoring the conference finals, also monitoring the draft lottery. What have these last few days been like for you?
1: You know, it's been crazy, but I feel like for you, if you know, the playoffs are your money time. For me, you know, when you have this type of hectic schedule with sports, it's what it's the reason why I love it so much. Because, like you said, we have the the conference finals, the NBA draft lottery. Uh, coaching rumors. It, it's a lot of fun. I mean, when baseball starts and the and basketball's over, the draft's over, and you have those that big lull. It, it's tough, man, and and you start to be like, man, I can't wait for football season. But it's mid July, and and it just it, it starts to wear on you because you want these types of moments. So if uh, I, I really can't complain, it's been a lot of work, but a lot of fun work and uh, a lot of phone calls and texts. I feel like. You probably get, I don't know, let's say you get hundreds of texts after a game, especially when you go off. You know, if, for me, if I'm not getting texts, I start to get worried. You know, if, if I'm not hearing back from people, uh, whether it's a GM or a player or an agent, whatever it is, then I start to get worried. So um, I try to be aggressive with it, but also not, uh, not too aggressive to where I'm an annoyance. You know, I know I annoy you, but that's my job. <laughs>
0: That's funny, man. And that's a a unique perspective to see, you know, with the giraffe approaching trades, obviously being one of the, Main things people are looking at with New Orleans getting the first pick in the draft and potentially landing Zion. A lot of moving parts with Anthony Davis, if they're going to keep him, if they're going to trade him. Is he happy? The Lakers with the fourth pick in the draft as well. So it's just interesting to see the rumors kind of starting up with free agency, sparking Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, among others, and seeing some some rumors about Mike Conley, Bradley Beal etc. It's always interesting to see uh, what's going on this time of year. So I'm sure your phone is is pretty busy uh, right now. After games, my phone is, you know, ringing, so to speak. Although my phone doesn't ring after 9pm, I get a lot of text messages, especially after a four overtime game or a closeout game, you're looking at two 300 text messages, uh, sometimes from people you talk to consistently sometimes people you haven't talked to since high school. So it's always interesting to see that uh, type of balance uh, that's there. Yeah, we, we've talked about the the high school text, or my
1: favorite is like, hey, man, haven't seen you since Miss Kilgard's class in sixth grade, but just wanted to ask you about this. Can you help me get a job here?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't quite get those text messages anymore, but that's funny. That's... It's crazy that people from sixth grade will be trying to get jobs. Mine's more so tickets. Uh, would love to come check you out. It's like you haven't checked me out my whole life. Why do you want to check me out now? They see
1: <laughs> they see those dollars. they see, you know they see you on SportsCenter. Center. Uh, for me, it's it's uh, it's always an entertaining text because you get those once every couple weeks or once a month. Just curious, what's the percentage of like okay, after after the closeout game when you went for 37 in Denver, you, what, you, what, 200, 250 texts? How many of those do you think you responded to, at least within the first, like, couple days?
0: Uh, I had, like, 300, 280 texts or something like that. So, I mean, I basically look look through them to see who I actually talk to, like, my friends and my family, people I actually have a relationship with, and I try to respond right away once I have time. And then the other ones, uh, it's just hit or miss. depends on what type of mood I'm in on, on if I respond or not. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I just put it an emoji. Or just like, uh, you know how you can like a, a comment or, or uh, thumbs up something? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's easy. Sometimes I just that's do easy. that
0: because some people, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, the response isn't necessary. Um, especially at this point in my life with how long I've been alive and the relationships I've built and made. If you aren't in my circle now, it's too late. You're not going to be in my circle or a part of it.
1: Where do I stand? Am I, am I in the circle of trust like can Meet the Parents?
0: Did I text you back? <laughs> well,
1: where, where I was going to go next was it always amazes me how quickly you get back, it, even after like a big game. You know, it's 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 impressive. I'm always like, man, God, he's so good at responding. Like a lot of guys will take a week or two weeks, or you got to hit them back, you know, and they won't even. And then it's like, oh, yeah. Or, or, or some people just don't respond ever. You know, I appreciate that, man.
0: I mean, it means a lot. Nah, no problem, man. I told you. I respond to people that I actually have a relationship with. So, you know, the day I stop stop responding, that means that our relationship is over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, well, well, I'll I'll just um I'll, I'm just playing with you, man. I'm not gonna stop responding to you, man. I'll
1: I'll monitor that. Um it, one thing I have monitored in this series with Blazers Warriors is the Curry brothers. Um how much have you paid attention to, see? the combination of Steph and Seth. Obviously, Seth was really good in Game 2. Uh, they combined for 53 points in Game 2. What have you noticed from that? And uh, have you guys even talked about it or it's a non, non-issue non or non-factor in the locker room?
0: It's, it's a non-factor, non-issue in the locker room for us. I think the media has... You know, kind of blown it up and made it a huge story. Obviously, it's something special for their family to go through, something unique that you see uh, with two brothers. You know, playing at this level for one and then being able to make it this far, and actually having to compete against each other at the same position. I think they've enjoyed the competition. They've enjoyed competing against each other, kind of like the backyard rivalries I imagine they had growing up. But for us, we're just trying to win a game, win a series, and uh, kind of move forward. And I think their their mindset is the same. You know, it's nice to get those little battles in between. I'm sure they enjoy gardening each other, stealing the ball, scoring on each other, things of that nature. But for us, we just want Seth to play well. We want Steph to, to have terrible games and uh, give ourselves the best chance of winning. I'm sure for their families, it's uh, mixed mixed emotions as they watch them kind of battle it out.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been fun as a media member to to see the parents and the family get behind it. Obviously, it's got to be a challenge for the family. On one end, but also it's, as Draymond said in his post-game press conference, like what else could you ask for, especially as a dad like Dell who played in the league? What what would it be for you just theoretically if you were to play against Eric in a game of that magnitude?
0: I think it would be dope. It would be a unique experience. Uh, We would definitely be excited about the opportunity to compete against each other. Uh, We're two extremely competitive players, so I would imagine that, you know, we would— really enjoy going head-to-head, you know, those little mini matchups throughout the game where you you get isolated on on one or the other and are able to try to take advantage. And I think, you know, it'd be similar to, you know, what Steph said, you know, wanting to play, wanting, you know, what's best for your sibling while winning. I think that's what you always, you know, kind of look forward to, but sometimes you want to shut them down too, so you hope that they have a terrible night so that you can really talk about it forever and, and kind of reminisce on the time where you locked them up and gave them buckets.
1: Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Uh, I just wanted to let you know how much it meant to me to see you with Jennifer pregame last night. She <laughs> was, she was fired up. I think everybody that saw that interaction, you gave her a hug. Clearly, it was a it was a nice moment for for you both, especially her. Um, what was uh, what was that like meeting the great Jennifer, who inspired not only a Twitter uh, battle or a, a Twitter. You know, phenomena, but also just has been the uh, the backbone of the pull up.
0: It was funny to see how far she's come um, since, you know, I responded to her tweet, you know, some time ago. A very witty and very warrior fan like for her to, you know, complain about us not winning and to, you know, kind of patronize me. But you know, she was a good sport. She's, she's, uh, been able to do some interviews, some podcasts. She's taken advantage of the situation. Uh, To her credit, she seems like a nice person. She seems um, very forthcoming. And ironically, I think she is a Warriors fan, but she's from Chicago. So there's an interesting dynamic there, so to speak. But uh, needless to say, you know, it was nice to meet her in person. I wish you nothing but the best going forward. And um, it's funny that, you know, we've, we've, gotten to this spot just based off of a social media tweet and response just shows you where we're at now uh in america
1: yeah yeah well she did say uh for what it's worth that she is a a bandwagon warriors fan even though she's not from the bay um this is (laughs) this is a quote from the washington post in the past i had seen different things about cj saying stuff about the warriors Having a super stack team, so when that tweet came up, I was just like, "I'm tired of this guy saying stuff," and they haven't even won a freaking playoff game. <laughs> so clearly, you, uh, your your response, like she must have been out of her mind. But it's it, to your point; she has come a long way, hasn't she? Now she can have this healthy interaction with you, and uh, I'm trying. Jennifer is is kind of like developed into this really positive thing.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely positive, and the reactions, you know, across the league and across the United States basically has been positive. You know, other teams have stolen it, you know, basically telling their fans and, and telling people that have mocked them that they're trying. I think it's, it's really cool to see, you know, a situation like this turn out to be good. You know I mean? A lot of times right. situations like that can be blown out of proportion or a guy can respond, you know, the wrong way or emotions can ride high and it can lead to you know, choice words. And I think that in this case, it, it showed some of the good behind uh, interacting with fans on social media.
1: Yeah. I mean, you've talked about this a lot. We probably hit this a fair amount on the podcast as a whole, but social media being a positive and a negative and and how do you um, find that balance and how do you channel whatever negativity is from fans or, or just people in general on Twitter, the general public, how do you channel that into a positive or at least divert the negativity? And this is a perfect example to your point, CJ, about taking something that could have been construed really negatively or you could have responded differently, you could have not responded, but here's a situation where you responded uh, appropriately and it turned into something really fun and it's obviously made a big, big impact on her life. And I've heard people... I've read about this, too, but, like, I've actually heard people joking, like, you know, I'm trying, Jennifer, I, just randomly, and it's it, – I always get a, a kick out of it because the impetus to all of that was just a tweet, you know, uh, last year and a response from you that in many situations probably uh, nobody would have even seen, but this one happened to be a big deal.
0: Yeah, it, it was crazy because I could have said a lot of things, but – right first thing that really came to my mind is that I'm trying, you know, I could have cursed her out. I could have looked at her Abby and tried to make fun of her or tried to take digs at her, but I just, you know, felt like I'm trying is what came to mind. And that's why I wanted to say. I had no idea it was going to be this big of a deal or blow up uh, like, like it did. But I think in the event of it, it's just something we can learn from it is that sometimes just honest, sincere response, Mm -hmm. you know, have the most impactful meetings. Um, Now, if I would have responded honestly, With some choice words, I think that it still probably would have blown up, but I don't think it would have been as positive of a situation or experience for all parties involved. Probably me too, depending on what I would have said. We got to get t-shirts. I mean, I've seen t-shirts, but we haven't actually made Pull-Up
1: Pod sponsored, I'm trying Jennifer shirts. I think that's the number one priority this summer. We haven't. That would be
0: hilarious. I actually have a t-shirt randomly. Someone gave me um, a t-shirt to wear and I rocked it. And uh, it was just funny. Well, it speak. It was really funny.
1: It it does it does speak to your humility as a, <laughs> to respond. I'm I'm trying. Like, there's something so honest and like vulnerable about it that I think that's what made it so special. It wasn't just the fact that you responded, but it was the manner in which you did. Um, and and that's what has had the staying power. What have you seen? See, just moving, uh, shifting gears into hoops. W- uh, what did you get? from game two, especially early, that you were able to create such a great rhythm? And what can you take from game two, especially the positives,
0: into game three when you go back home tomorrow night? I think just being aggressive, that's the biggest thing. Um, They're throwing us different looks, obviously, making us a vocal point of their uh, defensive responsibilities and assignments. But we just got to be aggressive, you know, do everything with aggressive mentality, cutting, screening, driving, attacking, split decisions, um, not thinking, just really reacting and reading, you know, what's going on out there. And I think that the difference between the first game and the second game was our intensity. We played harder, we were smarter, we were more um, aggressive and forward-thinking with our movements. And I think that was, you know, a big reason why we were able to kind of gain the lead, although we didn't sustain it. um, We just showed that when we execute our game plan and we stay locked in, that we can compete with anybody. And uh, now it's just about closing games out. You know, going back home, you learn from, you know, some of the things that happened in game one and game two, but understanding that game three will be different. The pace will be different. Um, the intensity level, how locked in they are, understanding what's at stake here with a with a home game for us. Now roles kind of reversing it and being able to try to take care of business at home like they did. So it's just just about having that aggressive mentality mindset really focusing on the game plan and then just going out there and having fun. At the end of the day, it's a game, a game you've played your whole life. So you go compete, uh, do the best you can, but make sure that you're having fun out there.
1: I liked the pick and roll coverage was much better to your point about intensity, uh, being diligent with detail. You know, in game one, Steph, especially, and Clay somewhat got a ton of open looks that you guys clearly knew you couldn't give up again. Um, I thought Mo did a nice job on Steph, but... When their pick and roll is really getting going, it's very tough when guys are making shots. At some point, you're going to have to give up something. It looked like last night you, were, you guys were saying, OK, well, at some point, we're going to have to let Draymond make shots. At some point, we're going to have to let Iggy make shots. And you had your lead. Did you feel like the intensity dropped when they made their run? Or were they just that much better? And were they that much more intense when they came back
0: from 17 down to, a, to eventually win? I think the difference was just, you know, early on in the game, they were missing shots and we, and we were making shots. Uh, we had a two, three minute drought where we weren't scoring. We had some turnovers that led to, you know, six, seven points, you know, in, in three, three consecutive possessions. Then we gave up offensive rebounds and that led to a three and another offensive rebound led to a dunk. So. Just giving him multiple chances and easy chances to kind of convert certain situations, change the dynamic of the game. Then the crowd got into it. Then they got a little bit more pep in their step. And then, you know, Draymond, Iggy, those guys are capable of making shots. They're capable of making plays. But when you leave Klay Thompson wide open for uh, a second chance opportunity, yeah. he's able to seam the laces and shoot a three. Uh, that's not that's not a great situation to be in. Or when there's an offensive rebound, Steph relocates and uh, he's shooting an uncontested three. It's hard to you know, recover from those type of plays because it's essentially a guaranteed three points. So it's hard enough to stop, you know, the elite teams, especially former champs. You have to make sure that you're not giving them two, three chances uh, at scoring on a possession and really make sure that your, your transition uh, defense and offense is up to par, especially when you have a turnover.
1: They are so good at punishing teams on turnovers, especially live ball turnovers where they get their runouts, two on ones, three on twos. And, you know, better than anybody, I think, uh, in the last several years, especially with Durant on the floor, though he hasn't been, but just their ability to convert those mistakes into open three pointers. You know, a lot of teams will still go for twos or they'll take their two if it's there. Golden State is actively searching for for transition threes off those ball turnovers long misses. And uh, it's obviously been extremely effective for them. Um, I I did like Seth with a three-guard lineup. I thought him, you, and Dame caused a lot of problems for them defensively because you were able to really spread the floor and have an extra knockdown shooter like Seth. Um, Was that kind of a game plan or was that flow of the game? And, And where do you see that moving forward? Because you did have some success with it.
0: Yeah, I think just using your length, being able to really figure out, you know, angles, you know, where guys like to shoot from, um, spacing, pace of pick and rolls, pacing of off-ball situations. You just have to be aggressive and uh, really get after. It. And I think that's what we did. They're going to make shots. Those guys are a really good player. Steph is a, a, a wizard with the ball. He can create shots off the dribble. He's constantly moving. His teammates are constantly screening and looking for him, so... You have to really just figure out how to effectively and efficiently move out there and how to just make it as difficult as possible. And I think we did a good job at that for the most part. And, you know, we had some lapses at times, but that's all a part of the game.
1: Terry's post-game message, positive, uh, you know, just common, basic,
0: where was he at? Yeah, I mean, the message was simple. You know, we know what it takes to to win games in the playoffs, we know what it takes to, to compete at a high level and we have to continue to do those things, understanding that we did a lot of things well in the game. Uh, We executed our game plan, you know, well, we competed at a high level. We took care of the ball. We knocked down threes. Now we just have to sustain that for 48 minutes. You know, they're a team that's capable of going on runs, especially in the third quarter. So Mm -hmm. we have to be sure that, you know, we're locked in and engaged at all times because, you know, one lapse, two lapses, you know, can allow things to spiral, you know, outside of your favor. But I thought we kept our heads. You know, they went on a run. We, We rallied the storm and ended up being up by eight points in the fourth quarter, we just got to do a better job of of executing down the stretch, and then once again, it's a make or miss league. So, yeah, you know, you miss shots in the fourth quarter, and they make shots, your your chances of winning are going to decrease.
1: I was just going to say, you said that after uh, or, or last night, make or miss league. Um, interesting, you you say that, and basically, uh, you felt like the intensity of uh, basically, well, the intensity of you guys was was strong the second half. They made shots; they were more focused, perhaps, uh, obviously more aggressive with with some of their pick-and-roll action, um, and you know, I would imagine that going home gives you a tremendous lift. Uh, I don't know if you know this, C, but the Blazers are the number one home offensive efficiency team in the league, averaging about 118 points a game. So clearly at home, you guys feel borderline invincible, I would imagine, um, and this is an opportunity for you in front of your fans where you've been so good in the
0: playoffs to – Turn this right back around. Yeah, we definitely feel good at home. It's a comfort level that's unique to being on the road. You get to sleep in your own bed. You get to do a lot of things that you're accustomed to doing, and it's just a a more comfortable setting because people are cheering for you every time you shoot. Locker room situation up until the game starts throughout the game. It's just a more comfortable setting. So uh, I think that I would expect everyone to play better, feed off of the crowd. Um, understanding what's at stake here, understanding what we have to do. You know, we have a home game we need to take advantage of uh, in game three, and we have a game plan in place that we feel very confident about. We just have to go out there and execute it. What's interesting, before we move on to the
1: East, is that you guys have been in situations all year, adverse situations, whether it's, you know, injuries, obviously, NERC, the big one of late, uh, being in a position against Oklahoma city where you had to, you faced multiple elimination uh, against uh, sorry, against Denver, where you faced multiple elimination games, um, you know, Oklahoma city where you go, where you, you lose game three and then you have to steal one on the road. Um, it just seems like every time you've had your backs up against the wall, you've responded. Does that help you at
0: all tomorrow night? Yeah. I think that, you know, past experiences definitely can make the situation better. Uh, understanding what you've gone through in the past, but also understand this is a completely different series. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna be playing at home, but they're still you know, a very good team. You know, there's a reason why they went back to back championships. So uh, we gotta be locked in, engaged, understand that they're not gonna just lay down because we're playing at home. And we also understand that we're capable of winning games on the road in at home because we've done that and we've had to do that with our backs against the wall. So in this situation, I think for us, it's just stick to the game plan, control what you can control. Uh, be Just being locked in, playing with a lot of energy, and uh, doing whatever it takes to help your team win. Did you get to watch game one, Bucks raptors uh, I, I watched a little bit of it. I caught the end of it, you know, fourth quarter. Uh, they played with a lot of intensity. I thought that the big fella, Lopez, yeah. you know, he really showed out. He's knocking down threes, getting to the cup. Uh, just kind of played a a total game. But I was really impressed with Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry was great. Uh, He was efficient. He knocked down threes. He ran the team. And for a guy who's faced a lot of criticism on social media in this postseason, I think he's really showed up uh, for this team when it's mattered. Talk about relocation threes. I mean, that guy has more of those than
1: anybody in the league, maybe. Maybe Clay and Steph. I don't know. But he gets so many of those. Seven threes in all. Missed two. 30, playoff career high. Best playoff game of his career. It's a little ironic that a guy that has been Chastised for not playing well in the playoffs has a great game and they lose. I think Milwaukee is a juggernaut. I really do. And I, I don't I, I picked them, I think in five against Boston. I have them in six against Toronto. I don't see any real weaknesses with them, CJ, just because of how they defend. Number one, defensive efficiency in the league, top three offense. Uh they're number one guarding the paint. They, they are really tough, and obviously Giannis is is a top three, top
0: four player. Yeah, they are really good, honestly. They're a really good team. They got shooters all around them. Um, they got players who know their role. They have a good bench. Uh, bringing back Malcolm Brogdon from injury has definitely impacted their their rotation. It's impacted you know their guard depth and, and how they're able to use certain lineups on the floor. So I wouldn't be surprised if they advance out of this series. Giannis is playing incredible. Uh, they're playing right now, actually, and are off to another good start, I think, you know, feeding off that home crowd, being being one of the first, you know, teams to to make it to the conference finals in what over 15 years for them as well. So this is a interesting time, and they're doing a graphic on length right now as we watch the game, and it just kind of shows you, you know, the type of you know length they're able to kind of throw at Kawhi and some of those other guys. They got Chris Middleton, they got Giannis. Bledsoe has a six eight wingspan, <clears throat> among other players, Malcolm Brogdon, and. Lopez and uh, Mirkic and those guys are just extremely long, so they're able to kind of throw different bodies at him, try to trap him, try to try to funnel him into certain areas. And I think, you know, they were a little bit more successful in the fourth quarter against Kawhi than they were uh, in the first three quarters last game.
1: Yeah, that was all. That was a lot of Middleton. Uh, he was terrific. He didn't have a great offensive game, but he was great defensively. Kawhi in the fourth quarter of game one uh, had two points, no field goals, and he he looked. I don't want to say passive, but he just wasn't engaged. And I give Middleton a lot of credit. Brogdon is a very good defender as well. And um, yeah, I just think Milwaukee's tough, man. They're really tough. I really like that offense. They just really spread it. And Giannis is just as a playmaker, he's so special. And I and I like that that their bigs, they don't ask their bigs to guard pick and roll. They ask their bigs, especially Lopez. Block a couple shots, eliminate second chance points, make threes. And it's it's a simple you know, solution that has worked for them. Obviously, you need the personnel, and they, they've had it. Um, so yeah, I do like
0: Milwaukee a lot. More show in a minute. But first, dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts. Like tall, short, slim, and relaxed. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great, untucked, and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. When was the last time your dad went shopping? Update his closet with some of our modern, perfectly fitted shirts. Your mom will thank you later. With my busy travel schedule, it's important that I have a reliable, versatile t-shirt that I can wear to any event. My personal luxe wrinkle-free shirt, but the main reason I love Untucket is because they provide more than 50 combinations with plenty of choices on color, material, and design. Take your day to try it on in person at one of Untucket's 50 stores or go to untucket.com to get started. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. You can save 20% on your first order by using my code PULLUP at checkout. Restrictions apply. That's untucket.com promo code PULLUP.
2: Get iXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off iXL membership when they sign up today at iXL.com slash audio. Visit iXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
0: Okay, back to the show.
1: Okay, NBA draft lottery. Obviously, here in New York, everybody want number one pick, Zion, maybe number two, Ja, they don't get either. Did you watch the lottery, and what were your thoughts of Zion potentially Assuming he doesn't go back to school, which he won't,
0: going to New Orleans. I didn't get to watch the lottery. We were getting ready to play the Warriors in game one. But right before our game started, um, you, you could see some of the staff and some of the locker room attendants kind of walking around, uh, essentially saying who was going to go number one. Obviously, we all knew it was. Was Zion probably going to be the number one pick or the favorite to be number one pick? We just wasn't sure what market he would be going to. And to see New Orleans get the pick was just kind of funny uh, with all the stuff they went through this season uh, with Anthony Davis just trying to figure out if they're going to keep him, if they're going to trade him. Um, to get the number one pick and now have a bunch of suitors who are probably going to be offering different packages uh, to try to attain that number one pick It's going to be an interesting summer uh, up into the draft. But I thought it was... Ironic that the Knicks didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, also ironic that the Lakers got a better pick than the Cavs yeah. um, after LeBron left. Just just kind of interesting to, to see where everything unfolded. But I think that the top five, top 10 will be pretty competitive in terms of players and, and the impact they have in the league and in summer league.
1: Uh, yeah, a, a couple thoughts for me. It, it, one, um, there's been a sentiment that the Pelicans didn't deserve the number one pick. My, my take on that is that You know, they they got strong-armed by Rich Paul and Anthony Davis saying, we don't want to be here anymore. And I don't think they handled it poorly. I think they did the best they could, playing Davis limited minutes. And, um, you know, I I, I just, I'm happy for New Orleans, honestly. I mean, I don't think James Dolan and the Knicks deserve Zion, and Zion certainly did not deserve that organization. So I'm happy for New Orleans. I think it's actually uh, good for the league. I I hope him and AD play together. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but as a whole, I thought the lottery was, was a success. The the first time we've had this now where instead of a 25% chance that these three teams get the, um, get the number one pick now it's 14. And, uh, I I just, I liked it. I I liked, I liked the the new format. I think it's a a healthy situation for the league moving forward.
0: Yeah. I think being able to, Try to eliminate tanking is a priority and it's important. A lot of people look at the Pelicans sitting out Anthony Davis in the second half or fourth quarter of games um, down the stretch of last season and then being able to land uh, the number one pick is considered tanking. But statistically, the odds weren't in their favor and the ball just kind of bounced their way, ironically. But uh, hopefully we can continue to eliminate tanking and have, you know, teams playing their best players unless there's an injury or something severe, you know, kind of going on, uh, allowing the game to be as competitive as possible, so uh, that's that's kind of what I'm looking forward to seeing. I think that the number one pick is obvious. The number two pick is probably obvious as well. And with the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, probably taking a point guard, you know, based on uh, whatever decisions they may make with Mike Conley. Um, who's your sleeper in this upcoming draft? And where do you where do you think the unsung Duke player ends up? The one a lot of people don't don't really talk about that has the comparisons to Carmelo Anthony. Cam Reddish, you mean? Yes, Cam Reddish.
1: I I struggle with him. I want to like him, but uh, he 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 disappeared in so many games. And for a guy that was supposed to be a a knockdown shooter, you know, he shot in the low thirties much of the year. Um, you know, he had a couple takeover games. I think it was Syracuse and Florida State. I want to say he he's I, he's interesting. Uh, the metal thing is that's probably best case. Obviously, he's got to put on some weight. I I, I want to like him. Barrett's really tough for me to evaluate because I don't see a ton of wiggle and I don't see a super explosive athlete. Um, he's very offensively skilled. I mean, the guy averaged 23 points a game and he was dominant at times, but I I will say CJ watching him, it was hard down the stretch where it almost seemed like he, he had, he had it in his mind that he was going to take the last shots in the final two, three minutes of games. And it, I thought it cost him the tournament. and, And I think It's something to monitor moving
0: forward. Yeah, It'll be interesting to see what team he goes to and the role they give him in terms of playing the one or the two or the three, how much pick and roll or decision-making responsibility he has, or is it just kind of go get us a bucket? I think a lot of times the situation you're in and and the freedom you're given kind of determines the success rate. So I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of these guys at the next level. Yeah, Um, Some sleepers that that could go mid, mid to late first round as well. I think Pons. Did you watch the actual combine? They were they were playing, competing. Did anyone stick out to you during the actual combine?
1: I haven't watched the combine. I have everything basically DVR'd. You, you said you said Shamori Pons though from St. John's.
0: Yes. Yeah, he's. A, I, I've seen him live. He's a, he's a. Did you play against him last summer? Yeah, I played against him in the summer as well as the Miles kid from uh, Seton Hall.
1: Yeah, Miles Powell. Well, uh What did you think of both of them? Because I I saw Pons. Um, at the at the open run and I thought he he looked like an NBA like offensive guard you know he, he was just explosive super crafty he had every shot a little small but what, what did you make of both
0: of those two and then I'll give you my sleepers he had great pace he can create in the pick and roll a good handle a very solid jump shot off the dribble and catch and shoot I think that there's definitely room for him in this league. I think he's a shot maker, shot taker, who will have success uh, depending on what team he lands on and the role he's given. I think Miles is is really good. He's an explosive guard. You know, has range and you know, out the NBA. Obviously, he's fearless. You know, being a kid who I think is from Jersey, who's been in that area his whole life been competing, playing on the playgrounds, um, playing against older, you know, talent most of his life. You know, growing up so that he's comfortable uh, in essentially any environment and. I just like a, a attacking, a yeah. scoring, fearless guard, and I think both of those guys have that.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, so here's a few names for me: I, Darius Garland. Um, I did a story on him, or really, I went to Vanderbilt to do a story on him, uh, and he he. That's when he tore up his knee, and it was a real shame. But I got to spend some time with him and and the coaching staff, and and basically just rave reviews across the board about how dominant he could be. Uh, thinking that they felt like he was the best point guard in the country. And, uh, you know, I, I don't – even though he has a significant knee injury, I, I don't know if he slips out of the top five. So that's one guy we don't have a lot of tape on, but he's really fascinating. I, I like Tyler Hero a lot at Kentucky. I, I think he's a guy that's going to come in and score. Have you seen him? The kid
0: from Kentucky, the scoring guard?
1: The, yeah, so there's, there's Kelvin Johnson, um, who's a little bit more um, kind of a traditional, like, st- you know, straight-line driver. And then there's Hero. Um, who can really shoot it,
0: Can score. I thought he was big in big games. I've seen him shoot. I think he has a very, very nice jump shot. I think there's room for him in the league. There's room for a lot of wings in the league Mm -hmm. that can knock down shots at a high level. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, how he played in big games because I don't watch a lot of college basketball, but I would imagine that, you know, he's a guy who can, you know, go into Kentucky. It's hard to really see exactly what you possess because the The amount of talent on the team, you know, looking at Devin Booker and some of those guys who had special ceilings, but you weren't quite sure what you're going to get based on what you were seeing at that level, based on how they were being used. So it'll be interesting to see how his game kind of evolves and opens up once he's given more freedom, once he's you know receiving NBA training daily and put in this situation to where he's he's able to kind of display everything he has in the arsenal.
1: Yeah, um, I, I spent some time with him and his his team recently, and what what stood out to me was he's been. He's been working on his body and really trying to become a pro for a really long time. And, you know, he, he's he's just like, he's. I think there's a lot there to work with. I think, you know, Cam Reddish is another guy that, t- the same type of deal, where he was around other great players. He wasn't asked to do a ton of things. And you don't really know what you're going to get, but you know there's a ton, there's a lot to work with there. Um, so it'll be interesting to monitor hero. I think Daniel, Daniel Gadford, the big guy from Arkansas, Matisse Stiebel from Washington, who set every record in terms of steals and blocks, uh, Lou Dort, Arizona state. These are just some guys that I've watched and really liked Grant Williams. We had him on the podcast. I don't know if he's going to go in the first round or not, but CJ, he's a hell of a player. Um, and the only other guy I'll highlight now is, is Kevin Porter, who I thought was going to be a top 10 pick. And, Really faded and, and didn't play a ton, and at USC he's a Seattle kid, but a super talented guy that has drawn the James Harden comparison. Six five, left-handed, can really score. So there, there are some names right there.
0: Yeah, I'll have to check those guys out as the draft gets closer, and you know see where they're you know settling in at on a lot of draft boards and discussions. But thanks for the insight. I truly appreciate it.
1: Any any uh any Lehigh guys?
0: Any Lehigh? Uh, I don't think there's any Lehigh guys that will be getting drafted this season. There's some some good talent that will be, be okay. heading to Europe for sure. But uh, I don't think that we have anybody on on the mocks or draft boards. Have you got a chance to check out the kid from the Division II school, the kid from Shaw, who's supposed to be? Yeah, he's really good, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some YouTube stuff on him.
1: Yeah, I mean, YouTube's tough because he, it's like, who's he playing against? Uh, you know, how, how big is he really? How long is he? Uh, it's just, you don't, a lot of guys look great on YouTube. Like Javon Quinterly looked like a best point guard in the last 10 years or one of them. And, and he barely played at Villanova. And now he's transferring. So, um, I have, I have been impressed
0: with, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Do you remember his name? Uh, I do not remember his name, but I can tell you that, you know, when I watch YouTube, I don't look at the highlights. I'm looking at what type of shots guys are getting. Like, can they create space? I'm not looking for jelly fam, like right. finishes. Right. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the skill set, the, the jabs, the the movement. The NBA Does he have NBA movement? Like, when I say that, I mean, like, LeBron's son, he moves like an NBA yes. player. He has pace. He has vision. Like, I can tell, like, like, by watching him that, like, he watches the game. He studies the game. He sees things before they happen. He has an NBA jump shot. Like, his form is crisp. The moves he's making aren't like, oh, I'm trying to put you on my highlight moves. It's like, I'm just going to get by you. And if you fall, you fall. Type of situation, so I think in, in his case, the the, the D two kid I seen, it looks like he has good size, about 6'4". four. I'm not I'm not sure on on the three point jumper. He has a great mid range based on the highlights I've seen. Like he loves the mid range. He's very comfortable, you know, getting the spots and raising up. He has a comfortable hand. I'm not sure if he's a one or a two. Um, obviously, there'll be concerns about the competition, but you know, having played at a smaller school, if you're a dog, you're a dog. So I think that the truth will come to light once he gets to summer league. And then once he gets to you know kind of go through an NBA training camp and you know kind of compete for a roster spot and compete for a potential spot in the rotation.
1: Yeah, I think even in individual workouts against really high level guys. So his name is Amir Hinton. He played at Shaw, which uh, Ronald Flip Murray also played. Division two school. He just, just for point of reference, he he basically averaged thirty. He had forty or more five times. He had fifty two in a game, uh, and he shot forty nine percent from the floor. 89 from the line. The D2 thing does not bother me at all and I like what you said about about the movement because sometimes like I said with YouTube you don't really know but you so you're saying you can just see pace and style and you know you can really tell from that even though you're not you haven't really seen him play and haven't played against him. Yeah, you can definitely
0: tell from movement and that's something I've always watched is body language, you know, when they shoot shots, you know how their teammates kind of respond to it and how comfortable do they look getting to certain spots because everybody can play against inferior competition but are you getting to spots that you could probably get to against you know elite players you know do you, can you score at all three levels what's your go to move how's your form look on your jump shot you know, those are things you can you can watch you know if a, if a guy's playing against high schoolers you can tell based on his movement patterns how easy the game comes to him you know where he's at with his jump or where he's at with his creativity and then you know, I always look at, obviously, size matters in the NBA, speed matters, quickness, smarts, ability to manipulate a defense. If you can manipulate a defense and you get into your spots with ease, it'll get harder. But if you have moves, you'll still be able to, you know, succeed at the highest level. You just, it just will be a little harder. A dog is a dog, baby. I like that. A dog is a dog, man. And, you know, I'm looking forward to game three. I'm going to watch the rest of this Bucks. Yeah. Raptors game. I think we're good to go. <laughs> I appreciate all the fans out there tuning in, as always. You know, make sure you tune in tomorrow night to Game 3, Rip City. We look forward to seeing you there as well. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to
2: Pull Pull up.